All right, so Jedi, this is a this is going to be a really cool show because we got that listener mail from Derek. He said they wanted to do a show on Leonard Peltier, so we're going to do it for him. But I want to tell you guys, he kind of threw a little dig at me in the message he sent me. He said he loves you guys, but I'm always talking about my foot. <laughs> and you guys know the story with my foot. What ended right? up happening with UPS is I hurt my foot. I had a lawsuit against UPS, and then my lawyer called me and said, just to let you know, the private investigator has all sorts of footage of you. Nothing groundbreaking, just you pushing your daughter in a swing and bringing her to school. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. All these, these pictures of me. And I know it's a guy's job, but it's kind of invasive when a guy's following you around. So I, hope, I hung up with my lawyer and my lawyer called me back and he goes, oh, by the way, be careful what you say in your podcast. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. This guy knows I have a podcast. This guy's been following me. He's been looking at my golf scores to see if I entered anything on my gin handicap. What? what? Yeah. Crazy. These, oh, these private eyes are unbelievable. So the reason I mentioned my foot a few times, even though I, I, I was having foot problems, I'm like, I should just throw it out there on the podcast in case this guy's listening that I can barely walk. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> Oh, I like that. Yeah. Jedi, we were we might have been involved in some insurance fraud along the way here. No, just kidding, (laughs) Help establish his alibi. I love it. Yeah. So, anyways, Jedi, Derek wrote us a message, and instead of me reading his message, I wanted to get a fan of our show to read it. Now I know Joe is always piling on about Donald Trump. And the reason that I never add to it is Jedi, I don't know if you know this. He's a big fan of the show. And, oh, I, and really? I know it's been a busy week at Mar-a-Lago, but he sent a message. This is what Derek said to us. What a <laughs> tremendous day. I'm telling you, I want to give a huge shout out to Derek from the people at Crimes, Conspiracy and Beyond. We are going to do a great job. I love the show. I've been listening for three weeks. It's really good. Jedi's laugh makes me laugh. She sounds like she's so fun to be with. I'm telling you, I'm going to have the whole crew down to Mar-a-Lago. Because they're fun people, they really are. And Joe's laugh, it's so mischievous. He sounds like that evil, he makes me laugh all the time. It sounds like that evil villain, the one that wants to take over the whole world. It's unbelievable, I'm telling you right now. And Todd the Foot Guy, what's that about? I'm telling you, he's always talking about his foot every episode. It's unbelievable. It's really going places, it's unbelievable. Crimes, conspiracy, and beyond, it's unreal. And of course, that real, that producer, Joe. He's a long-haired libertard and snowflake from Connecticut. He hangs out with liberals. What a loser. But I'm telling you, we're going to have the whole casting crew down because Melania loves the show also, as does Eric. Eric really loves it. It's going to be so tremendous. We're going to have the whole crew down. We're going to do it right from our lago. It's going to be tremendous, and it really is going to be bigly. God bless you. We love you. Crimes, conspiracy, and beyond. God bless you. Wow. Joe, we're starting probably one of the most serious shows we ever did with one of the most immature things we've ever done. (laughs) So if you have any show suggestions, send it to us because there's a good chance uh, we'll do it because there are weeks, Jedi, we're struggling. It'll be a Monday or a Tuesday, and I'm like, we got to get cracking on something. (laughs) So thanks, Derek, for the show suggestion. Yeah, thank you, Derek Morris. Ask and you shall receive. So.
Crimes, Conspiracies, and Beyond with Jedi, Todd, and producer Joe. Today, we have a special show inspired by one of you. I'm talking to you, Derek Morris. And so today, our show is about one man who has spent over 45 years of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. Despite the fact that his case was mishandled, despite this discovery of withheld information, course witnesses, and that two of his co-defendants were acquitted of the same crime, Leonard Peltier, American Indian movement leader and fighter of Native American rights, remains in prison. Now, Jedi, I'm embarrassed that I don't know about this case. Did you know about it? I know Joe did. No, but it is um, fascinating and sad. I, he did not get a fair trial. Right. And now before we bring our guest on, Joe, now when I first read about this case and I talked to one of our guests about it and I heard he was in jail for 47 years and he needs to get out, what do you think the first thing that popped into my head was? Mm. I'm thinking you're Leonard Peltier in jail for 47 years. You're watching the news and everyone's screaming, oh, Brittany Griner. Wouldn't you be like, hey, over here. here." Yeah. I, I got to say, I, you know, I'm familiar with this case. This happened three days before I was born. Literally, uh, this was like oh, a yeah. big story the, the week I was born. I like I am. I understand he seemed to get a bad rap in some of this, but I, I'm who did it then? Who did it is my question, because usually if it's not the person we think did it, there's usually a second viable suspect. And I haven't seen any other names. There was the Mr. X, but that that didn't go anywhere. And apparently that was not based on a real person. So I'm I'm super interested in this. This is a fascinating case. Uh, I, I think I'm going to eat my words on something coming up, too. So that's that's always <laughs> fun. Love that. <laughs> well, we have the best people that know about this the best, though. So they'll be able to fill us in. Now, I think we should bring Kevin on. And do you want to give Kevin's bio? Yes, I would love to. Uh, this is a, a very impressive bio, by the way. Uh, Kevin Sharp was nominated by the federal bench uh, by President Barack Obama, unanimously confirmed by a Republican-held uh, Senate in 2011. He was chief judge in the Middle District of Tennessee in 2014 and actually resigned his lifetime appointment in 2017 because of his concern over the ineffective, overly punitive criminal justice system. I think he's on to some things here. Uh, Sharp became a national partner at the Sanford Heisler Sharp uh, Law Firm and opened the national civil rights firm's Nashville office. And since 2019, Kevin Sharp has been a big proponent uh, of Leonard Pelletier and and this case. Kevin, we really appreciate having uh, having you on the show today. Well, no, thank you, guys. It, it's funny. I was I was listening to y'all talk earlier. When I first heard about this case, I, I was 12 when it happened. And I'm living in Memphis, Tennessee. This is not a big story. Um, and so then I end up getting the file uh, in 20, 
2018, 2019. Um, and I'm reading through this thing and I am shocked at what's going on and how I didn't know about this. But it's funny because I was a, uh, I had been a lawyer for a number of years and then I was on the federal bench. Um, I, I knew this in some way, somebody, somebody said, you know, you're kind of like the insider in the tobacco industry. You understand the inside of the criminal justice system. And I did. And it took me almost no time to figure out the what happened, the what they did to get this conviction. It's, it's now in you know year three as I'm figuring out the why. And that's why I think you, the other guests you've got are great because they understand the why. And there's so much there's so much to that as to why this happened, why they needed to take down AIM. And it all comes back to these, you know, kind of uh, entities, these shadow entities that we've heard about over the years, Co-Intel Pro and this shadow operation within the FBI, but it existed, it was real, and the American Indian movement was a target. Uh, and so as I'm reading this, as someone who took an oath to uh, support and defend the Constitution when I joined the military, I took that oath when I became a lawyer. All lawyers are required to take that oath to support in the Constitution. I took that oath again when I took the federal bench. And I'm reading the, the trial transcript and I'm reading the court opinions and I'm reading FBI documents that were uncovered through Freedom of Information Act requests. You'll hear that described as FOIA. I'm reading these documents and I am shocked because these guys were took the same oath to support and defend the Constitution and they stomped on it so that they could get a conviction at all costs. And it didn't really matter who they had a Native American. It was almost any Indian will do. That one is there. Let's take him. And they worked backwards. Not, we think we have a crime. Let's figure out who did it. We have uh, uh, a suspect. Let's prove he was the guy that did it. And they worked backwards. And, and where they had to make up uh, evidence, they did it. And, and it still bothers me. I've been on this for years. And those people who've been working with Leonard, you know, for decades, uh, Chauncey's here, um, right? It's, it still drives me nuts and aggravates me that they would do this to our Constitution and that they would do this to our city. Kevin, let me ask you this question. Because, like, I read a lot about this, and he certainly got a raw deal. And what you're describing is what I saw, where the FBI was falsifying information on affidavits, uh, including uh, to bring him, uh, uh, to extradite him from Canada. But is it also possible that he did it and the FBI faked, you know, some of the evidence or, or forged things? Is, is that, or, I mean, do you guys know definitively Leonard didn't do it? And if so, any idea who it was? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Let me start with what the U.S. Attorney's Office says, which is we don't know who did it. Once the exculpatory evidence was discovered that, oh. he, that they had actually, and this is jumping way ahead, but in his, in his trial, they hid evidence that, of a ballistics test that showed it was not Leonard's gun. Once that was discovered, they went, okay, uh, well, we don't know who did it. So, Joe, it's a great question. I don't know. The United States government doesn't know, but what I do know is there's no evidence that it was Leonard. It right? seems like, but, but, but it seems like Leonard and and his inner circle 
some of those people have said he admitted it, and I know I think all of them may have recanted at some point, but they all originally had said it and said that he said it. And so I'm curious if if were they all again? I don't want to get too far ahead of the story. Spoiler alert, Kevin. But was everybody being? Co- I understand the FBI tactics. I could see where they're coercing people. It, it, was that more or less the case here? Well, let me let me back up, and I hate to put you on the spot, Joe, but. The they said he did it or that he said he did it, that they doesn't exist. That didn't happen, right? That never happened. Those are rumors of someone said that, that I heard that he told somebody else who told me, that's not evidence of squat. That's nothing. So there is no one who said he did it. But what happened was you did have kids, 14, 15-year-old kids who were there that day. There were a lot of people up there projecting. This is the other important thing. Is context matters. And again, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but why were they there? And there were a lot of people there that day that um, those kids were coerced into saying that they saw Leonard and his co-defendants going down the hill towards the agents. But they recanted that. They didn't see any of it. And only one of those boys is still alive. He's in his 60s. And I've spoken to him. And he said, I didn't see any of that. The, the, the coercion and the threats against his own safety and that of his mother was what led him to lie. And he recanted that on the stand. And the FBI does not deny that they coerced him or that, or that his original testimony was not true. That's how they got the indictments. And it's what they were going to try this case on until the boys recanted on the stand in the first trial. But there's nobody. I mean, that's part of the problem of those people who kind of know something about the trial and you have in your mind, well, wait, didn't didn't he admit this? No. And and there's only a rumor that someone heard someone else say that they heard him said that. That's that's a bunch of nothing. Yeah. You know, the answer is no. They took a guy who was there. There's an FBI memo when the first two uh, co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense, which is important. When they were acquitted, there's an FBI memo that says, and they're mad, and you can tell it in the memo, now we need to take the entire resources of the United States government into convicting Leonard Peltier. Well, that's bullshit, gentlemen and ladies. That's not how the system works. No, it's not. And it's good. No. I know. Uh, well, let's back. Let's so back up a little bit. So sorry, I've jumped. No, no, no. In, but it's- that's okay. So, yeah, I just want. To, so we have Levi Rickard on and Rachel Thunder. Levi is the founder, publisher, and editor of Native Native News Online, and you probably know just about more than anyone with the Native American community, right? Well, I'm not so sure. I will. I would go that far, but I will say this: I appreciate you bringing attention to this matter. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, you, you were really unaware of it until just recently. And, and and so goes America, so to speak. And that's one of the reasons why I founded Native News Online 11 and a half years ago is to amplify Native voices. And so I, I applaud what you're doing today. And and as far as the, Leonard Peltier, it's one of the sad sad chapters in America history. And notice I didn't say American Indian history, America's mm-hmm. history. Yeah. And, and, and it is, uh, Leonard is considered by many as a political prisoner and should not be in jail. And, and it is, it is it, for heaven's sakes, they've left the man who shot the president of the United States 
out and, and he's walking freely today, my understanding. Uh, they have what Kevin maybe six weeks ago, something like that. And yeah, maybe maybe last. It all kind of runs together now. It, it does, and, and and I guess my point is, uh, there again, I applaud what you're doing. Um, I we have covered this case extensively. I've written several editorials about Leonard, and I, I for one believe he needs to be released. So. Yeah. Now, Rachel, feel free to jump in at any time. You're the organizer of the Leonard Peltier Walk to Justice, which we can touch on later. And I, I kind of think we might have lost Chauncey, Leonard's son. Joe, do you see him in there? No, we gone? did. He did drop off the line. I'll keep my eye out. As soon as he comes in, I'll bring him so back. I, I do think we should back up because I think we should tell the story as if people don't know, because a lot of people don't know who Leonard yeah. Peltier is. So, right. Levi, do you, yeah. Do you want to start at what happened that day? Well, you know, what's hard. I tell people you can't really understand what happened that day in June of 1975 without understanding what happened at Wounded Knee in 1973. And you can't understand that if you don't understand um, what happened at Wounded Knee in 1890 and why there was a, tr uh, a trail of broken treaties that ended up at the occupation of the Bureau of Indian Affairs building. And, and it's hard to understand that day out of context with the hundreds of years of history of this government's treatment and mistreatment of the indigenous peoples. And so all of that culminated in lots of atrocities along the way. The Mankato 38 um, is one, if you don't know about that, it was a mass hanging um, in the 1850s of, of 38 um, uh, Native Americans. Uh, who each had, uh, there was originally going to be 300 hanged simultaneously. Um, they all had about trials that lasted, gosh, anywhere between five and 10 minutes, depending on how long it took them to get them in front of the judge, right? You, you All of that results in a powder keg at Pine Ridge in 19, June of 1975. And Pro's involvement with picking sides in a dispute between um, one group of the, the Lakota Oglala Sioux tribe and the traditionals, right? It all starts to sound a little Vietnam-esque. The government picks a side because it's in their interest. And now this comes back, we, as we talked a little bit about, you know, it's back to this kind of land back issue. Um, and all of these broken treaties. And that's why Levi is an, an expert on these issues, but it's more than just people with guns on Pine Ridge Reservation in that on that June day, because it all led up to a powder keg that the government, as the courts recognized in Leonard's appeals, the court recognized the government, the United States government had has to take responsibility for what happened that day. And so, you know, if if we have time and and Levi can give us a, a history lesson, I think that would be great because you can't understand it unless you understand a little bit of the context. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to go back to 1890 and you go. You talk 500 years of oppression against Indigenous people here in, in this continent, but uh, let's start with 1973 when the American Indian Movement took over uh, Wounded Knee. Uh, is a hamlet on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, which is, uh, for for your viewers out there, is one of the poorest areas in the in the United States. You go to Pine Ridge even now, 
people live in what I call third world living conditions. And, and back then there was this, this, this group led by a corrupt tribal official and he had his goons and the American Indian movement came in and took over wounded knee and it lasted 71 days. And, and, uh, you had the likes of Dennis Banks, Russell Means, some of the uh, American Indian Movement people there, Clyde Belcourt, and uh, all three of those gentlemen are now deceased. And and you had Leonard Peltier, who was a uh, uh, he was a let's call it like a lieutenant within within the top brass of the American Indian Movement. And and after 1973. Uh, Leonard and, and like Dennis Banks, some of them were going around the country evading uh, the police, quite frankly. They were uh, they, they had a warrant out for Dennis's arrest and and so so they were they, they were they were fleeing uh, the federal government. Well, there was a real backlash by the feds and, and they went into wounded knee where literally hundreds of people have disappeared. They disappeared during that time. And, and never to be seen or heard of again. And so it was a constant, constant uh, battle with the federal government showing up. And these two FBI agents show up unannounced one day and, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden the gunfire breaks out and, and they're caught in the crossfire. They end up dead. Another Native American Indian died and, and Leonard fled. And and he was uh, went up to Canada, and then they extradited him back back to the United States, and uh, he's been under arrest ever since. And so, forty seven years is a long time, but it's it's just truly truly a sad part of American history of how American Indians were treated. And and there's just we we could be we could talk for days on this, and they could teach yeah. uh, classes on the injustices against American Indians. So that's that's kind of just a quick summary for. And real total side note, but the guy that they were pursuing, this Jimmy Eagle fellow, that case went to shit also, and nothing ever. So why they even went on the reservation? Like, I suspect there might have been more to that story, even like that. That seemed weird, and why it would have been two FBI agents of all people. Well, I mean, they, feel they, free they, to jump I understand in. is they they just freely went on to the Indian reservations. Uh, Particularly Pine Ridge in, in Rosebud, which is an adjoining, is right next door. Is is that they they uh they 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 just freely they were just just going up rounding up people and, and arresting people and they they were very angry that it was an embarrassment to the United States government. Um, during the seventy one days, I I know I interviewed Dennis Banks uh, one time at a university and he said over a million. Uh, ammunition were shot it's a miracle that more people didn't get killed up there there was i think one person that died at wounded knee and then <laughs> dennis basically said we, we got to end this thing and i think it ended after two days after that person died and so it was just a tragic tragic time and but but the american or excuse me the federal government was very embarrassed and and they entered, entered they tried dennis banks and uh uh Russell Means jointly up in Minneapolis area, and, and the federal judge threw it out after a few days. And basically said, "Hey, this is this is a farce." And he's a he was a uh, had served the United States not only as a federal judge but in the U.S. Uh, Navy. 
And he said, this is an embarrassment, what you guys, what this federal government has done to the American Indian people. This well, and the misconduct, right? So they had engaged in misconduct yes. in that trial that resulted in the judge saying, we're tossing this. Similar to what the judge did in a, a completely different context, but with Senator Stevens in Alaska. Yes. Once you get to that level of misconduct, similar to what we see in Leonard's case, courts will usually throw that out. Yes. It didn't happen here for, for different reasons because of the judge he had. But uh, I know Rachel had something to add to that. I want to yes. go back and add something to what Levi said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I could just take a moment and add some context. But um, first, you know, Tanse, get an Askamolten, an Askamolten, Upsis, and then the Hiawak, Upsis, Rachel, Thunder. Um, hello and thank you to each of you for having us on here and to everybody who is listening. Rachel Thunder, I'm a director in the American Indian Movement Grand Governing Council and one of the leads for the walk that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, you know, I was born and raised AIM. I come from an AIM family. And I grew up hearing these stories and, um, you know, hearing these stories of these uh, resistances and fights for our people. Um, so I just wanted to add a little bit on to what Levi and Kevin shared. So in 1973, the Wounded Knee occupation marked the beginning of a three-year period of political violence on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation known as the Reign of Terror. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that this land, that all of this took place on Wounded Knee and the Jumping Bull incident is all on sovereign land. That is land not owned by the United States. That's land existing as a sovereign nation of the Oglala Lakota. So at that time, the tribal chairman, Dick Wilson, he was a corrupt tribal chairman and he had this kind of like squad of vigilantes called the Goon Squad or Guardians of the Oglala Nation. And what was happening at that time was um, Dick Wilson and the Goon Squad um, under guidance of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, were attacking and persecuting the traditional people of the Pine Ridge Reservation. And you also have to remember that at this time, as Native American people, we could not even openly have our ceremonial practices. We couldn't practice our religion, our spiritual practices, our traditional practices. That wasn't even legal in the United States, quote unquote, until 1978. So during this time, the uh, Dick Wilson, the tribal chairman, and these goons were attacking the traditional people of Pine Ridge. And so the traditional people of Pine Ridge called in the American Indian movement, those elders, those women, those traditional families called in the American Indian movement to for protection so that they wouldn't be murdered, so that they wouldn't have their houses broken into, so that their women wouldn't be raped and assaulted. So all of this was going on at this time, and it's called the reign of terror for a reason. The people were scared. They were terrified. So Leonard was one of those individuals that came in to that sovereign land to help protect those traditional people through the American Indian movement. And they set up a camp at the Jumping Bull residence, the Jumping Bull family. That's a traditional family of Pine Ridge. And on June 26, 1975, these, an unmarked car came into that jumping bull camp. And you have to understand with this reign of terror, with all of these assaults and attacks happening, that these people that were there at this camp 
which by the way, was not mostly American Indian people. It was women and children and families there at this jumping bull residence. They were scared, you know, they were like, we're being attacked. And so this shootout happened and more than 150 FBI agents, goon squads, and law enforcement officers showed up there at that shootout and were there. And more than 50 Native American people participated in that shootout. And that's including AIM members, Bob Rabadou, Daryl Butler, and Leonard Peltier, who were brought to trial. Um, yes, those two FBI agents come to find out they were agents. They didn't know they were agents at the time because they're in an unmarked car coming into sovereign land with a warrant for a pair of stolen Eagle boots under Jimmy Eagle. They come in, they're killed in the shootout in this crossfire. And also one Native American who was mentioned, Joe Stunts, he was killed at that shootout and his death has never been investigated, nor has <laughs> anyone ever been charged in the connection with his death. So Bob Robidoux and Daryl Butler, they were arrested first and they went to trial under a federal, federal jury in Iowa. And they were acquitted on the grounds of self-defense finding that their participation in the shootout was justified given that climate of the reign of terror on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation at that time. And further, they couldn't even be tied to those close range shootings of those FBI agents. So then Leonard, who we you know mentioned earlier, had gone to Canada. He was arrested in Canada on February the 6th, 1976. And then they, um, brought him to the states based on um, court affidavits of a uh, quote unquote witness of mortal poor bear who was later found out that, um, you know, the her statements were coerced and completely false by the FBI. So Leonard's trial did not happen in Iowa. He was held in, this trial was held in Fargo, North Dakota under a conservative jurist appointed by the federal bench by Richard Nixon and key witnesses and evidence regarding that reign of terror that was happening was not allowed in his trial, but was allowed in um, Dino's and Bob Rabadou's trial. So you have this like, you know, discrepancy between these two trials, you know, three men that were arrested two acquitted, found not guilty on self-defense. And then at the end of the day, they just wanted any Indian to pay. And if it was an American Indian movement Indian, even better. So that just to provide a little context of that. And yeah, Leonard has been locked up now for 46 years, going on 47 as a you political know, prisoner. Rachel, speaking to that, I, I read where he was, the, the pause that it took in the extradition had he made it back for the trial uh, with with Robodeau and Butler, he would have. That would have been it. He would have been acquitted, like they were. The case had been thrown out, and we wouldn't be talking about this because Leonard wouldn't be in jail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's that's right, and it's because here's the interesting thing. I never saw this happen on the bench, and when I started looking into this case, trying to figure out why uh, a trial where the where the alleged crime happens in South Dakota, one it gets moved to Iowa and then it gets moved to, to Fargo, North Dakota without orders. I'm looking for the orders, right? Trials get moved, but they just don't get moved. There's gotta be an order somewhere from another court ordering these things to get moved. And even 
uh, Judge McManus that had the Butler Robito trial says, I don't know what happened. How did this thing get taken from me? I don't know. It just was. J Judge Benson, who had Leonard's trial, there's there are FBI memos that show he met with, before the case was transferred to him, he met with the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office about Leonard Peltier before he got the case. Now, not technically an ex parte communication because he doesn't have the case, but certainly one where by the time you get it, you have had communications that require you to recuse yourself, and he did not do it. But that's that meeting was about whether or not we had the right judge. He was a former U.S. attorney who was now a judge. What he said, so when Rachel's talking about the reign of terror, it's almost like, you will appreciate this, a Whitey Bulger situation because mm -hmm. Dick Wilson and his self-proclaimed goon squad are being funded by the FBI and ammunition wow. is being supplied to them and information. They're getting intelligence so that they can battle the traditionals with government support. So there are 60 murders within a three-year time period of which the, the federal government would have had jurisdiction to investigate. They didn't do squat. Why? Because they know who did it. Their guy was out there doing it. There's no need to do that. He's one of us. And so that creates this climate that when these two agents come onto the, onto the Jumping Bull Ranch in Pine Ridge, it's a, it's a powder keg already. And as it's been described to me, right, you don't know who's who. It's everybody is on edge because people are being killed and assaulted and you know who's doing it. So when an unmarked car pulls up into the into the land and doesn't give the signal with the headlights or do something to let you know they're friendlies, then everybody's on edge and everybody's ready for this for this fight to happen. I Kevin, Kevin, am I correct in that the FBI never, uh, before the shootout in any way, shape, or form, indicated that they were law enforcement? Is that correct? No, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. What they radioed in, and there's no, you know, they didn't record it at that time. They had transcripts of it. They radioed in that they had a truck that fit the description of Jimmy Eagle's truck, who was wanted for stealing a pair of cowboy boots. Now, now you got to question whether or not the FBI even had jurisdiction over that because they better be some damn expensive cowboy boots or you right. have addiction for every little theft that takes place. That's for the tribal police to take care of. And so why are you pulling up on to this land anyway? You know, you know who Jimmy Eagle is. If you, if you really need to pick him up and if you do have jurisdiction, pick him up at the, you know, uh, convenience store, wherever you're going to see him. This, the whole thing. And I'm, you know, now we're back into these conspiracy theories and I'm not one of those guys, but the thing smells. Why are they there? And how, once this shootout starts, how are they able to mobilize 150 agents and militia, right? You got BIA, you got FBI, you've got goon squad, private militia up there. How do you do that so quickly? One of the things that I just, that I just learned within the last year or so is that one of the agents was wearing moccasins. They were in plain clothes, right? They're, they're not wearing the suit and tie that you see as part of their FBI you know, badge photo. They're dressed like civilians, but one of them was even wearing moccasins, right? So who are they trying to present themselves as in these, you know, in these unmarked cars? But setting all that aside, 
the shootout happens. No one should be surprised at that. They're they're trying to protect themselves. They've got, as Rachel said, a lot of women and children up there. And it's one of the things that happens when the shooting starts is Leonard. I got this. This is what I learned from one of the one of the young men who testified and and admitted to me we didn't I didn't see the things that I testified to because Leonard, when the shooting starts, Leonard is up at the ranch. He's not down there with the shooting. He's telling these boys to get the women and children to safety. And that's what the boys do. So they're not even there to see what happens. But the shooting has already started. This is not Leonard and and Dino Butler and Bob Robidoux. They're all they're all up at the ranch trying to protect people. This is somebody else doing the shooting. So, you know, they don't know who did it. They admit they don't know who did it. But we do know that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't Leonard Peltier because he's up the hill and we know they've got ballistics tests that prove it wasn't Leonard's weapon. Not to mention both yeah. of those FBI agents were killed within 10 minutes of that shootout starting. So, again, I think that lends to what you're saying. Leonard's not even he's not, not even the there. He's not even there. The shooting breaks out. Um, right. It, it doesn't seem even possible that he could have been the guy that fired the kill shot no, and they know that and they know that now and they knew that when they tried him mm -hmm. tried him otherwise there's no need to hide the ballistics evidence there they've got once they've lost the boys right now the boys testimony is gone because it's made up and threatened and coerced myrtle poor bear and who didn't testify at leonard's trial but they originally wanted her to testify at his trial until it became obvious that she didn't know leonard peltier much less there that day and saw him shoot anyone, which is what the FBI got her to say. And she later said, the reason I signed that affidavit is because they threatened to take my daughter from me if I didn't sign. Now, the Canadian courts later, when it's discovered that this is a, is a complete BS affidavit, the Canadian courts want to know who submitted this thing because you used it to get the extradition approved. And now we know it was a lie. And lawyers are forbidden from presenting evidence that they know to be false. So Holtman, who was the U.S. attorney at the time, uh, and I've seen his letters to the court, says, I didn't know anything about this. Her FBI, he called them her FBI controllers drafted this affidavit. As a federal judge, I know that's not how it works. That's not how that works. The U.S. attorney and the assistant U.S. attorneys work with them and draft those affidavits. You, you don't let an FBI agent in the field draft the affidavits you're going to submit to the court. You're working on that. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's a true affidavit uh, for the lawyers to help draft those. But you, but you can't draft a knowingly false affidavit, submit it to the court. That, you, you lose your license for that. Kevin, I'm just curious too. So they used the affidavit, but then they wouldn't let her actually testify. Because now, it became clear that the affidavit was false. And and now the the US attorney is has got a dilemma. Now we know this affidavit is BS. I can't put her on the stand to testify that the affidavit is false. And the reason I did it is because those guys over there coerced me into it. Mm -hmm. And we now know, although Levi and Rachel have always known this, 
that a threat for the U.S. government to take your children from you was real and was immediate. This wasn't some idle threat. They would do it, and they've, and they've done it, as we're now all learning about these boarding schools. Mm-hmm. This was the policy of the government to do that. Why wouldn't she believe them? And so then the court doesn't let her testify, and he doesn't. they don't let Leonard's lawyers cross-examine her about this. So without the three boys and without Myrtle Poor Bear, all they've got is a shell case. And it doesn't show you which weapon, it shows you which type of weapon, right? The ballistics expert testifies during Leonard's trial that this is, you know, not the best ballistics test, but but because his weapon was destroyed in a fire, we couldn't do a firing pin test. It would be the gold standard of ballistics test. We don't have it, but what we've got is a shell casing that we found in the trunk of the car, not on the first time they investigated it, not on the second time they investigated, but the third time they investigated. They Real quick, who wants to tell the story of the reason why the, 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 the car that blew up? Who wants to tell that yeah. part of the story? Because that's <laughs> insane. Well, I don't know. Here's the thing. For all you, all the listeners out there who were not driving in the 1970s, cars would just catch fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You remember Levi, you may remember this, just driving around the seventies and go, hell, there's another car over there that's on fire on the side of the road. It was, you know, that's what happened to that car. I don't think there was anything, um, you know, suspicious or intentional about it. I think they just had an old car in a hot environment and the damn thing caught fire. Thank you for explaining that, Kevin, because my thought was like, I'm thinking, what did the bullets just start going off was it so hot out no my mind was blown but this is great context cars sometimes just burst in the flames and particularly back cars would just catch fire and then it was full of weapons and ammunition and all the you know the the occupants of that car scrambling to get the hell out of there and the damn thing blows up but The truth was, although the expert was on the stand saying they couldn't do a a firing pin test, the truth was they did do a firing pin test. And it showed it wasn't Peltier's weapon. And they knew it. Joe, you know what's crazy? If I walked up to you right now and it was on videotape and I shot you in the head, I probably wouldn't do 47 years. Yeah, probably not. It's insane, right? Yeah, and this is something like they don't even know. Well, so, you know, the other thing, uh, jumping ahead to the time he served, the uh, a UN uh, committee made up, a working group made up of experts on international law, criminal law, um, uh, human rights law, investigated uh, Leonard's incarceration, and they took months and months to do it, and the parole system, he keeps being denied parole. The average time served by someone convicted of this crime, assuming that he did it, which the evidence now shows us that he did not, would be about 12 years. Oh my God. He's done 46. God. Right? And what they found in this investigation was substantive due process violations, procedural due process violations, and anti-Native American bias. They report in there that one of his hearing officers said by a by a 2009 parole hearing, whereby now we we have discovered the exculpatory evidence, the ballistics test that shows it wasn't um, that, that, no, sorry about that. 
Yeah. Also, the other thing that's come up recently in the past year, you know, 46 years after he helped put Leonard Peltier behind bars for two life sentences, um, the former United States attorney, James Reynolds, called his prosecution unjust, slammed the FBI for its role in promoting violence on the reservation, and asked President Joe Biden to free Leonard Peltier. Um, now. And that's coming from one of the prosecuting attorneys that prosecuted Leonard Peltier. You know, that's another thing that's popped up. You know, Leonard is 77 years old. He has type 2 diabetes. He has high blood pressure. He has an aortic aneurysm that's fatal if it ruptures. He had a stroke that took 80% of his vision in one of Didn't his eyes. did he have COVID when COVID first started and got turned yeah. down for, I mean, yeah. like, come on now, seriously so with this guy. They denied him his booster shot. He caught COVID. None of us, I mean, you know, Kevin could probably add more on this. None of us could even contact him, contact the medical unit, have any kind of information for weeks on whether or not he was okay. And that was an avenue that the BOP could have taken to release him because they had a program to release elderly, you know, prisoners, inmates, federal inmates, from to release them out of the prison system to go serve their sentences at their homes because of COVID-19 and they still wouldn't do it. Right. Part of what you have to recognize too is the that part of the Department of Justice is divided into two sections, right? There's a civil side to DOJ and there's a criminal side. And when you look at the org chart for the criminal side, you've got the attorney general, deputy attorney general, and then underneath that, the U.S. attorney's offices, the FBI and the Bureau of Prisons and the pardon attorney's office. There's such a conflict of interest in the pardon attorney's office. They're all, they're all report up the same chain of command. And so the Bureau of Prisons um, is a mess for one, but, but they're part of that system. They are not going to, it's Leonard Peltier. They are not going to, to cut him any kind of slack um, and give him the same rights that anyone else has. But what I was going to say about the about the parole thing, sorry, my phone rang here, that when the UN working group looks into the parole system, one of the things that happens is that a parole hearing officer now knows what we know about the exculpatory evidence and says, wait a minute, US attorney, you're now saying you don't know who killed the agent. And we have been denying parole for years because you said he murdered them. And we say, well, if he's not taking responsibility and showing any remorse, that's part of what we're looking at in parole. They keep denying parole. But now we know that you know you, you don't know who did it. So that hearing officer recommends parole. That hearing officer is then fired. And a new hearing officer is assigned to Leonard's case. He redrafts the recommendation to be recommending that parole be denied. And he says, well, Peltier may not have done it, but somebody in his tribe did. Parole denied. Well, that's like saying, well, you know, well, he didn't do it. You didn't do it, but some brown guy did. Mm -hmm. You know, some black guy did it. Parole denied. What? How can they hold him based on that kind of lack of evidence? Oh, boy, Jedi. You you, you don't want to even know the answer to this question. 
This right. is crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. It, it has consumed me since the time I first heard about Leonard Peltier and, <laughs> and read the case. It's nuts. I, I went on Kevin's Twitter. I'm like, I wonder if he ever mentions Leonard Peltier. Then I was like, oh, God, this has consumed his life. Joe, it's kind of like the flat earthers we talked to where it consumes their life. It's all he talks about, and I can understand that. But um, have the Native Americans always been treated like this? So, um, you know, just to kind of answer your question and what Jedi was saying, uh, yes, this goes way back to the beginning of colonization over 530 years ago. This goes back to the doctrine of discovery. This goes back to the mentality and the propaganda to justify a genocide to take over the new lands of the Americas, to say that the indigenous peoples of North and South America are not people, that they're less than people. That's why we're gonna deny them their religious freedoms. That's why we're gonna take their children and put them in boarding schools and residential schools. That's why we're gonna let those children be murdered and assaulted. We're just finding our children now by the thousands in mass graves at these boarding schools and residential schools. That's why there were mass executions, like what Kevin said, the Dakota 38 plus two. That was a mass hanging directly by the order of Abraham Lincoln. That, you know, all of these things, that's why our people are school mascots, you know? So it's yeah. that, 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 underlying belief that is deeply rooted in colonial systems of the Americas that Native people are not human, that they're savages. I was just going to say that word, Rachel. They called you guys savages. That sounds like like an animalistic human. They did the same thing by dehumanizing the African slaves who they eventually had to free, right? And, And like Kevin said before, any Black guy will do. It's the same mentality that Native Americans have dealt with is the same thing that Black people have been dealing with uh, since they've been in this country. And it seems Mm -hmm. like in the United States, when we mistreat you the first time, rather than apologize and make amends, we just try to get a boot on your throat and just keep you down and quiet. Yeah. And something, you know, as Native people, our numbers, we don't have the numbers that these other people of color groups have. You know, at one time, yes, you know, there were millions of us here. But even before the first pilgrims landed on the United States um, coast, um, over 85 percent of our population was already destroyed from diseases like small smallpox and influenza and measles that the Spaniards brought when they came. So by the time, you know, these colonizers or pilgrims or whatever you want to call them came, oh, they're like, oh, this is this beautiful, untouched land. Nobody's nobody's home. You know, we were here, but our numbers were completely destroyed from the diseases that had been brought by the initial contact of colonization. So our numbers, you know, like when we speak, our voices are loud, but there's not very many voices speaking because we don't have the numbers that like the Latina, Latina, like Hispanic community has. We don't have the numbers that the African-American community has. We don't have the numbers that the Asian communities have. Um, And that's why it's really important. And we have a lot of um, appreciation and respect for our allies. You know, those people that help bring awareness, that host radio shows and bring us on and let us talk about Leonard and these things. Because a lot of people don't want to hear it or they think that we're just remnants of the past, that we're not even here. 
But reality check, we're here. We're very much still here. Our cultures are here. Our people are here. And this walk that we're hosting this fall for Leonard's freedom also represents all of those atrocities and issues that we still face today as Native people. Because Leonard's still held for those exact same reasons. That's why he's still yeah. in prison for 40 years. You know, one of the things that it's, you, you listen to what Rachel is saying, and she's absolutely correct, but you don't have to take her word for it because the United States government will, agrees with her. The policy of the United States government was called termination. And it was literal termination for a while, and then it became cultural termination. That's what these boarding schools were doing, right? So this is, this is not the Native people trying to convince you of something. Hell, we all admit it. The government admits that what that's what they were doing and that's why she's absolutely right and that was the policy termination was the policy and that's right up and that's not ancient history that's why these boarding schools existed and they existed right into the 1950s this is not and i was shocked at that i was thinking well yeah i kind of heard of these, but i think that was over in the 1850s right no some of them in canada existed into the 1980s yeah, we had we won, we have one here in Michigan that existed until 1983, and Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland was up the, up in the uh, territory of the ancestral territory of the little old Traverse Bay bands of Odawa Indians. And so, what, what Rachel and Kevin are saying is very true. Uh, we're under threat right now with a with a court case that's going to be argued before the Supreme Court on November 9th. And it's a breaking case that involves the Indian Child Welfare Act, where to to uh, by my judgment and other tribal other tribal leaders they they basically are maintaining it's one of the biggest threats to tribal sovereignty that existed for has existed for almost a century and so it, it is and it's always about and for some crazy reason you can almost have a thread that it's always a threat to our children starting with the boarding schools uh well even mass death of our children even before boarding schools but then uh, you know, they worked on the mantra during these boarding schools of save the, uh, kill the Indian, save the man, meaning uh, destroy their culture. Culture and this this cultural genocide, as someone alluded to, is, is very real. And, and it continues today with our children being removed from our homes up in South Dakota. Uh, NPR did a great, great series on it about five years ago. Uh, two or three part series about how our children and it becomes really about money. Uh, it's just a money racket and they're taking our children from our homes. I was in Rapid City here, some testimony of some uh, Lakota people from Pine Ridge and Rosebud and it's just tragic. It's just heart wrenching what they do and this is happening now and, and, right. and that's why it, it, this is not ancient history and what happened to Leonard is obviously I think they're making a, a, a sacrifice of him and and um, that, that's why we, we are trying to champion. I, I really appreciate what Kevin has done. He has taken this thing and helped amplify it. And I love his tweets. I try to retweet as many times <laughs> as I see his tweets. And what Rachel's saying, you know, yeah. to, to amplify this is just tremendous. And, and due to our size, now you got to understand, even in the last presidential election, on election night, CNN, um, when, when they were showing the exit polls, they had uh, how Caucasians or whites, uh, African-Americans and blacks, Latino, Hispanics, 
and then they had Asian, and then they had other or something else. They called us something else, and so yeah. we were insulted by that. Quite frankly, uh, it, it's just, it's just we have we're constantly, and that's that's what I do at Native News Online. I try to amplify for American Indians our our our, our voices. We need to have our voices heard. And yeah. again, I'll applaud what you guys are doing today with this show. You know, too, oh, Levi, you're. The numbers, and Rachel are talking about the numbers are small, but because of the way the Electoral College works, this last cycle and this upcoming presidential cycle, Native Americans are going to have more of a voice than they have ever had before because the numbers are small, but they're enough to make a difference in who wins and loses Wisconsin or Michigan or Arizona. And if you look at the congressional races, all through what's known as Indian country, you go, man, these votes are going to make a difference on who wins or loses, although they're small because of the because of the way the Electoral College works or different districts are set up. And so I think, although this mantra of what happened to Leonard has been going for 40 years, I think it didn't, you, you, two things were happening. One, you didn't have a constituency that uh, had enough influence and I think the Native American community has that influence that they have never had before, although it's not equal to what it should be. It's more than they've ever had before. And so the president will listen to that. But also you've got the general population that's finally ready to listen, listen to things like broken treaties and land issues and mineral rights issues and um you know, pipelines through through their lands. Kevin, I was just going to say a lot of this came up a couple of years ago in the, with Standing Rock, where and a lot of people on Facebook were like, "I'm with you guys," and and then, you know, I, again, I I definitely think that Native Americans um, have have finally, I think, started to get that where people realize that they got a really raw deal. And maybe it's because Trump reminded everybody of Andrew Jackson, what a bastard that guy was as far as relations with the Native Americans. But I think people are really finally starting to understand the way this country started and the shitty, shitty things that we did. Uh, mm -hmm. And the idea that we're still doing this to, to one poor bastard, it, it just it makes no sense. Right. Mm -hmm. There's an audience willing to listen. And you can't forget that Leonard, as a nine-year-old, was kidnapped and taken to one of these boarding schools along with his six-year-old sister, right? He doesn't mm -hmm. remember his language like he used to because they weren't allowed to speak it. You know, his, his hair was cut and they put in these, uh, in the, in the clothes they wanted them to wear. He didn't see his, he didn't go home for three years. All of those, these things that we've been talking about on a global scale happened microscopically to Leonard. And that's mm -hmm. part of why he is, um, he is a man who needs justice, but he's also a symbol. Mm -hmm. He needs to be released as a way. I saw, I saw To Kill a Mockingbird, this, the stage version the other day, and Atticus Finch character says, you know, we have to heal the wound or we can never stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. Leonard is part of what it will take to, to start to heal that wound. Mm -hmm. And it's a long way from doing it, but... Yeah. You have to talk about it. You have to be honest about it, and you have to take steps to heal it, or we will never, ever, and we'll never stop the bleeding, and yeah. we have to stop the bleeding. 
Yes. And Joe, yeah, Joe, I don't know about you, but what Rachel said earlier about they just don't have the numbers. When I think of racism, sadly, it's always whites versus blacks to me. Native Americans would never even pop into my head. I just think because what she said, they don't have the numbers. That's well, just what we see on TV. You know, Chris Rock a few years ago made a joke about the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And he was like, uh, it's mostly Puerto Ricans on the floats. The Native Americans, you can't even, like, you can't even find two Native Americans at the same time. Like, that's how few there are in this country. And, yeah, I mean, listen, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff, Todd, you and I. Not even on the show, but just kind of in real life. Like, this is real for a lot of people. This experience that people have. And we don't hear enough about it. And sometimes when we hear a little bit about it, it's like, ah, stop, bitch. And this country is great. Well, sure, it's great. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everyone sees it that way and that everyone gets treated that way. And yeah. there's ample evidence of African-Americans. I think by now, everyone's everyone's aware of that. And I definitely think more needs to be brought to the forefront because I live in Connecticut. You know, when they gave the Mohegan tribe a casino, a lot of people in Connecticut were like, oh, we're good then, right? Like, this is, are we straight with the with the Native Americans now? They get a casino, <laughs> that's a lot of money, we're good. Like, they just wanted to like pretend like none of that happened because, hey, we made amends, we gave them a casino, as if that's really benefiting all, all Native Americans, which clearly it's not. Right. And, you know, just to add on to kind of what Kevin said, you know, that Leonard is part of this wound. He very much is. And he represents a lot of these issues. Um, and our walk, you know, as the American Indian Movement Grand Governing Council, this walk that we're hosting this fall, it's set to start here in a couple of weeks. It's starting in Minneapolis, Minnesota on September the 1st. And the name of the walk is Walk to Justice, because we're asking for justice. We're asking for Leonard Peltier to be free. We're asking for all of these issues to be brought to the forefront of, quote unquote, the United States, you know, for there to be justice for our missing, murdered indigenous women, for there to be justice for the children that are being taken from us and that have been taken from us that never got to go home for justice, you know, for all of these massacres that happen to our people, justice that this Indian Child Welfare Act is not revoked and removed, you know, that we can protect our children. So this walk, it's going to be 1,103 miles. It's going to go from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Washington, D.C. It's going to take about two and a half months to carry that prayer to D.C., and, you know, as the American Indian movement, we're first and foremost a spiritual movement. Everything that we do is grounded in prayer and traditional ceremonies. And this walk is a prayer. It's a ceremony in itself to see Leonard released. Um, we're going to be hosting uh, rallies along the way. We're going to host rallies in Minneapolis, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, Chicago, Illinois, South Bend, Indiana, Toledo, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then in D.C. And, you know, this whole this whole focus of this walk is Leonard and also to bring awareness to our people and to these issues that we've been fighting for over 530 years. So it's really good to have this kind of awareness on a radio show. You know, there's been other shows that have had us on to be able to talk about it, to talk about these injustices. And what we're asking is justice in an unjust system because the system has been unjust to our people. And that's why well, what Rachel yeah. just said is why, yeah. why Leonard is such a symbol for all of this. You cannot separate those things when she says, look, this is a walk for Leonard, but it's also a walk for 
this justice for Native Americans. You can't separate those two. It's why Leonard was there. It's why all of these, all of this tension happened. It's what keeps him there. It's what put him there, and it's what keeps him there. And and you you hear talk about this generational trauma from these boarding schools, and I see it right. I get to stand back from it because I didn't live it, and I get this, and I get to see it objectively as a lawyer, as a judge, as a, an American citizen, as a human being. And, and all of a sudden I can take this in and go, my God, they're right. And we have an opportunity to stop it. Mm-hmm. Let's take it, mm-hmm. let's do it. And that's why I think this walk is gonna be so important. And that reminded me, sorry, Rachel, uh, I do wanna get a list of all those cities because um, if I can make it, I'd like to fly in and, and attend some. I can't make your opening, but um, maybe I can hit one of the other cities along the way. Hey, hey, Rachel, yeah. Rachel, they news that line. Uh, uh, our reporter Darren Thompson, who's based in Minneapolis, will be mm-hmm. at, at the opening. You may know Darren, and I will yeah. try to make. If you can get me uh, notice, and, and uh, Todd, do you have a ability that she yeah. can post post the um, uh, schedule? Yeah, so I'll just share a little bit of information right now. Our opening rally in Minneapolis will be on August the 31st. And then that very following day on September the 1st, we'll have a sunrise ceremony run by Mitch Walking Elk. And then the walk will start. And that'll be there at Cedar Field, just next to the Little Earth Housing off of Franklin Ave there in Minneapolis. Um you know, and if anybody listening wants to get more information, we do have a Facebook page that's Leonard Paltier's Walk to Justice. Um, we post updates on how to be involved, how to support, and support can be a lot of different things. Support can be, um, you know, sharing information, educating people around you, donating supplies, volunteering to walk for a part of it, putting the walkers up, hosting a meal you know, um, making a monetary donation. And all of that information is there on that Facebook page. And if you don't have Facebook, that's okay. You can email Leonard Paltier, walk to justice at gmail.com. And one of us will reach out to you. That's awesome. And Joe, one thing I want to touch on was I found so interesting. Can you pull up those 2004 presidential results, the popular vote? Now, I found this fascinating. Now, how can you run? I mean, I know you probably know, Kevin. How, how can you run if you're in prison? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You can run. <laughs> Donald Trump might do the same thing in two years. <laughs> you can run and you can win. Yeah. He had almost as many votes as the write-ins. You can't vote for yourself, but you can run. That's a crazy no, thought. You, you can't, can't vote. vote or for yourself for that matter, but you can right. run. You can run. Wow. You can't vote. And the other thing, Joe, did you have the graphic I sent of all the Obama pardons and commutations? Did you have that? Uh, That's okay. But no. Now, it's gone through at least four presidents, right, where they tried to get him out, Kevin? Yeah, well, you know, he's been, he was convicted in 1977. I don't know that Carter would have looked at it. Uh, but everyone's looked at it since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clinton. Clinton was close to letting him out, and the FBI, for the first time in history, actually protested in D.C. They held a protest as the FBI for outside Leonard to White not House. be released. Yeah, outside the White House. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's legal, yeah. uh, or for the current 
if anyone there was retired agents, but if there were any current agents, I'm not sure they could do that. Uh, but they That's did. Insane. That's insane. Like 40 years later, different FBI agents probably told to do that, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm now, sure. have the ha, Joe? You know where I'm going with this right now, but mm-hmm. has the FBI always been crooked? <laughs> well, <laughs> look, look, like any agency, I, I'm, I'm not going to indict the entire FBI, but they're made up of people, and people, certain people are are crooked. They just are, and you know that there are cops who, um, right? Their 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 prosecutions yeah. are dismissed because they're planting evidence. Does that mean that everybody in that department is a crook? No. No. Does it exactly. mean you know, everybody in the Boston FBI is a crook because of what right. they did with and for Whitey Bulger? No. But there were some there were some people who certainly yeah. were. So um, I, I think I'll speak as a Native American. We have uh, even what happened with Marlagro just in the last week. You know, I, I've been toying with writing an editorial tied it to the Leonard's case, and I'm having a hard time. Uh, because I agree with what uh, Judge Sharp just said here is, is that not everybody's there. And I, I say it this way that, you know, when they talk about bad cops, talk, bad teachers, bad preachers, right? Bad priests. So round up the corrupt ones, get rid of them. But uh, that does not, should yeah. not be an indictment on that total institution. Yeah. So, but, uh, but just, yeah. just for kick, just for kicks, we had this conversation about three weeks ago, and I told Joe to pull what he said about the FBI. Joe, just play the clip. Be a good he sport. He said, <laughs> why does Joe assume that the FBI is on the up and up when you said something like, the FBI would have found something by now if they had it for all this time? No. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm not even going to entertain that thought. The FBI is the good guys. They always have been. I stand by that statement. I stand by that statement. They've always been the good guys. Now, again, and these gentlemen uh, and 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 Miss Thunder have, I think, shown you that it, again in certain cases with certain rogue agents. And again, that might go all the way to the top in some cases where someone's pulling some nonsense or or whatever. That's not an indictment of the entire FBI. <laughs> and I think. Again, it's easy to make that assumption in light of what just happened to Trump, where you're hearing a lot of right wing lunatics act like this is, you know, some sort of, um, you know, police state action. The FBI raided his compound or whatever. That's not at all true. As a matter of fact, everything I've seen about the the raid on Trump's house dulls in comparison to what happened at Pine Ridge. And the idea that they didn't announce themselves and they were in unmarked vehicles and started a shootout. Like, there's a lot about this case from the get-go that doesn't smell right to me. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the show, when I when I was asking the question, because like I, I've read a lot about this, um, I'm fascinated by this, but the I keep coming back in my head, I'm thinking, somebody Here's the thing. It's not like those FBI agents got hit in the crossfires. Um, I mean, they did, but ultimately somebody went in and shot them both execution style in the head. And again, I understand the idea that if somebody had to pay for this, and unfortunately it's Leonard, but I think it would go a long way. Um, I, I would make the same argument to OJ Simpson. If you could give us a better idea who did it, if it wasn't you, 
that would really be very helpful. Well, let, let me let me say this, Joe. It doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. The way it works is if you've got uh, enough evidence to indict me, indict me, and then prove that I committed a crime beyond a reasonable doubt, there's no requirement that I'm going to indict you. And if you find somebody else for me, then then we'll acquit you. That's not how it works. What I can tell you is, and what the Constitution requires is that you try somebody and you prove they're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, and you cannot do it by threatening and intimidating witnesses or hiding exculpatory evidence or committing perjury, right? There's no then requirement, but all of that's okay. We'll still convict you unless you give us who did it. The government says they don't know who did it. Why should Leonard or me or Levi or Rachel or anybody else have to go out and prove who did it? It's been decades. No, you're no, listening. No, no, from I know, a I'm legal standpoint, you're 100% correct. I'm just saying, if you guys were able to offer up, like, it might have been that guy, at least then in, in, in people's minds, it sort of would take, like, okay, well, I guess it could be another person, as opposed to, it definitely wasn't Leonard. We have no idea who it was, though. But what's wrong with that? It definitely wasn't Todd who killed him. I don't know who it was. Todd, you're going to go to prison until you figure out who it was. I, no, no, no. Listen, right. I'm not suggesting that it's it's on Todd to figure it out. I've seen, you know, I've seen appeals and I've, you know, I'm into cold cases and stuff like that. And I've seen often this happens where they they literally will solve the crime and bring it to uh, an appeal and be like, listen, we have evidence that this is the person that did it. You were wrong about because, listen, everything about this case is a lack of evidence. Right. right. No, nothing about this. There's no evidence about Leonard being guilty. There's no really condemning evidence here. So it, it you would think on an appeal, it would have been easy to be like, well, none of this is well, actual evidence. Two things happened. Uh, one, the law has changed since then, since he, this case was tried. Part of it is and what you're talking about is when somebody they build a good circumstantial case somebody gets convicted on a circumstantial case and then they find out who really did it. That's one thing. To fabricate a case against someone and then say, but you know, it would be much more helpful if you could then tell us who really did it because we're law enforcement and over the course of 46 years, we haven't been able to find out who did it. You know, if you could, you know, find a, a judge in Nashville, Tennessee, willing to work pro bono and go solve this, this uh, shootout for us, that'd be great. Well, I can't do that. They, <laughs> we don't know. And, you know, but the one thing we do know is that there's no evidence that it was Leonard. Mm -hmm. That's what we know. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, Kevin, I just had a thought that uh, my understanding is that these FBI children, the two deceased who were killed at the incident at Ogala, <laughs> were, were very much in support of keeping Leonard in jail. But it, it, it seems to me that they would want to know who really killed their fathers. So, you know, I'm sure. Right. I'm sure they would. I, I just if if the FBI and part of it was they don't want to know. Okay. Right. From their perspective, the FBI's perspective, case is closed. They don't want to open this up again. Um, there are different people with different motivations for for wanting that to happen. One is, look, an FBI agent is dead. Two FBI agents are dead. Mm -hmm. Set aside, so was Joe Stunts, but 
two FBI agents are dead. We have somebody and, and the case is closed. From some people's perspective, they, they think they know who did it even though they don't have evidence. It would be great to know who really did it for that family, maybe, and maybe not. Maybe from their perspective, it doesn't matter anymore. These two men are dead mm -hmm. and um, does it matter whether it was this person or that person? Now, this time, the person who did it is probably dead. Um, uh, if not, they're, you know, uh, in their 80s, late yeah. 70s, early 80s. So I don't I don't know. And and do they, would they change their minds and say, we support clemency because even we don't want someone to serve time for killing our, my father if if no one really knows whether he did it. Now, this is, goes back to the changing of the theory. So once the the FBI released the, the ballistics test and the U.S. attorney had to admit that they don't actually know who killed the agents, um, they changed their theory to aiding and abetting. Now they don't claim that Leonard did it, but they claim that he was there and he was shooting and it's aiding and abetting. But then I have to ask, who did he aid and abet? His co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. There was no crime as far as they were concerned. Yeah. So. But how can you serve over 46 years for aiding and abetting? Well, it, you you wouldn't. And that was interesting because the at the Court of Appeals, when the U.S. attorney changed its, its theory of the case, the court recognized and asked them, well, wait a minute, if you had tried this as an aiding and abetting case, the sentencing would have been radically different than what it was. And the government admitted that that's true, but they don't take him back for a resentencing. Um, and so he has to serve the two life sentences as if on the theory that they tried, which was that he shot them, even though they changed their position and say, we don't, we don't know who did it, but we all know now that it wasn't Leonard. He was just there like Robert Owen Butler. And Joe was right earlier when he said, you know, had had Leonard been tried with those two, with that judge who let in the evidence of the reign of terror, right? Because that now gives them motivation. Why were you shooting at these men? Because we have this history of the reign of terror. That information gets in, the FBI misconduct gets in. One of the jurors said after the trial, we were more afraid after hearing all this evidence, we were more afraid of the FBI than we ever were of the Native Americans in that area as they had reason to be. So you know, there's yeah. so many problems that, that this needs to end. They need to end. Right. I was just thinking, Joe, even the guy who uh, was responsible for bombing one of those airlines, I don't know if you remember that case, they let him out when he was like 80 because he had cancer. Like something like that, the guy got out of prison to spend his last few years, and yeah. Leonard Pelte is still in. Well, I mean, especially especially knowing that so many people have Leonard's back on this and have been fighting to get Leonard free. I, I know it's become a bit of a celebrity cause. You you know, generally speaking, that leads to something if you can get the celebrities on your side. So I don't know. Please right. right. bring attention. You know, another another thing, you know, Biden just released Hankley who yeah. actually yeah. attempted an assassination on a United States president. And then you're talking about like support for Leonard, you know, you have Nelson Mandela, you know, these are just over the years, Nelson Mandela, Amnesty International, um, you know, countless celebrities, you know, over 50 congressmen and senators. So it's just, it's honestly, it's just ridiculous at this point. 
It's not, you know, he should, it's not even that he should be released now. He should have been released. Right. He's never yeah. even been there. He's just never, never should have been convicted. Do we have oh. Bono on board, Rachel, from you too? I think Bono. If we Bono, can get was, Bono yeah. on this, yeah. has, he, has he been in on this? He has been in the past. He has been. I'm not sure where he is today. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, Peter Gabriel came back. Ringo Starr has come back. Um, Graham Nash. Uh, John Densmore from the from the Doors, Ani DeFranco. All of these are just recent additions. Uh, we were talking earlier. I was talking to someone that Danny DeVito tweeted about it and got over fifty thousand likes to his free Leonard Peltier tweet. Well, um, maybe maybe Rachel needs to uh, try to get some of them in Minneapolis or Chicago to to, to really to really get some uh, national attention to this case. but And yeah. that's the important thing that, that Levi just raises. It's not that a Danny DeVito cares about this, so I care about this, but Danny DeVito or any of the people that we're mentioning and others that we have not, they they have people who, who follow them and would go, oh, wait a minute, I never heard of this. Somebody responded to DeVito's tweet. I don't know who that is, but if Danny DeVito's for it, I'm with him. That's just it. Yeah. Uh, Love it. Yeah. You know, but what you need is to build that constituency. So anybody right. out there listening who now goes, what the hell is going on over there? It's time for President Biden to grant clemency. Just commute this sentence and let him go home and spend his last few days with Chauncey and his family and his grandkids and great grandkids. The president has to know that right to the White House. They, they take emails on the White House website. If you want to say something, you can email them. They actually answer the phone a couple of days a week. Someone will answer the phone at the White House and will take down your, um, your comments. And so any and all of those, you got to let the White House know, because if you're sitting at home mad about it, but the, but the President Biden or his staff doesn't know, then you know, your, your tree that fell in the woods with nobody there to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Jedi, you're, yeah. Jedi, you're from Hawaii. Didn't you say you, they have some of the same traditions or something as the uh, native Americans? It's the same, same arguments. Yes. A lot of the native Hawaiians, their land was taken away from them just as well. And so they're also fighting for survival rights and stuff like that. I mean, I feel for the Native Americans because, I mean, especially Leonard Perto, he he's in prison for a crime he did not commit. There's no evidence, like we've discussed, to yeah. hold him there. And, you know, with the FBI not wanting to revisit this case and, you know, let him go finally, I mean, what does that say about the FBI? What does that say about our justice system? So what does it say about our government? Again, who right. doesn't like to admit when they're wrong about anything, especially when they fucked up in the first place? No, right. And that's why yeah. I think Levi said this called a, a political prisoner. Whether you, you know, that means different things to different people, but everybody has to agree he is a prisoner of politics mm -hmm. because that's what keeps him there today. It's just raw politics. He, they've got their pound of flesh if that's what they wanted. You got it. You got 46 years worth of flesh. Let him go home. And the, and the White House needs to hear from people that that's yep. what they want. You know, uh, Jedi, the two of his biggest supporters are Senator Hirono and Senator Schatz. Uh, your senators down in Hawaii. Uh, yeah. 
branch <laughs> uh, chairs the Indian Affairs Committee. Not to mention, Joe Biden could use some good news and some wins, couldn't he? <laughs> you know, he could use that heading into November. Like, you could, if you want to be a hero to the Native American people, that could certainly help you out. Which, if and if you want to go back to raw raw politics of it. It's going to help you out in Wisconsin. It's going to help you out in Michigan. You lose any of those states, you lose. Yeah. yeah. Out in Arizona, uh, you know, maybe Colorado. Maybe it means that you don't have to spend as much money there. You're still going to win the state, but maybe right. you don't spend as much money there. If, what's the worst thing that could happen to Joe Biden is that Leonard Peltier dies in prison because mm-hmm. nobody's going to look at this and go, well, that was, that was Clinton's fault. He should have granted clemency back in the 90s. That was... Obama's fault should have granted clemency in 2017. They're going to go Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. What clemency when you had the chance? And mm-hmm. he'll pay for that. He'll pay for it at the at the voting booth in the Native American communities. And it is small, but they are important based on where they are. And they're mm-hmm. important to this country. So, you know, to talk about raw politics of it, you, 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 that's a dangerous game that you're playing if you want to win a, an election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Levi and Rachel, does it drive you guys crazy when, say, you're doing this important walk to get him out of jail and you put on the news and the number one story is like if Kanye West is with with uh, Kim Kardashian and that's the stuff that just dominates the news. Or are you just used to it? Well, like are, nonsense. But, like, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Rachel. No, you go ahead. I, think you I, 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 for one, you know, I think that's the nature of news is we we. We, uh, we get diverted easily, and and there's a. I heard last night Trump banks on the fact that people have short news cycles. That the American uh, public have about a three day cycle, and they they want to go on to something else. And yeah, but but it, it is it, it is quite quite um, sickening when when some of the core issues that are in hand are not covered properly. And I, I know like I was in Anadargo. Oklahoma last month when uh, Deb Holland they, they started the tour to healing uh, the road to healing tour on this boarding school and you had probably three times the media and the national news covered it halfway decent but when Michigan there was very few if any national news I didn't see any national stories and that's and I say it this way that the national news often do they like to cover the shiny objects and so that's the importance of what native news online does and not necessarily pull my own horn but but that's why i started native news online 11 and a half years ago we need to have some voices out there and the good news is we are cited by the washington post and the new york times here and there and uh, on an average we get a national publication will cite us twice a week so um we've been we've been charting it this year and so uh, we, we feel like we're in a good spot to really amplify what needs to be amplified in terms of Native American issues in, in this country. And uh, in, in, it's, it's it, it really, we do need to focus in. And, and I think I, I really, uh, again, I applaud what Rachel's doing with this walk and what Kevin's doing because yeah. Kevin has really brought, and he brings so much credibility being a former federal judge. He just adds all kinds of credibility to this to this to this story and, and that is just really critical i think is um non-native people and if i can say it this way white people love credible people 
the more mm-hmm. credible you are, the better. And that's what yeah. I really do like about what, what Judge Sharp is doing here. Well, thanks. I mean, this is originally that when I said I started off by saying the what was easy, it's the why that has taken me years to start to understand. And that's yeah. the why I get from Levi and Rachel and those folks. What I the what were the constitutional violations that just jump off the page at me. And that's what dragged me and pulled me into this case was, you know, I've served this country in every branch of government. I was in the military. I worked for Congress. I was in the judiciary, each time taking an oath to support and defend the Constitution. To see it just ignored in this way was what dragged me into this case learning about Leonard and learning the why part of this and what he's a symbol for is what keeps me here and what keeps me churned up. Um, and I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to grow up this way um, and have this every day as the thing that keeps me spun up. I tell you the first thing as I do as I join the American Indian movement. <laughs> sure that I'm, I'm heard. And and I tell, it's what I love too about Native News Online is I found as I'm trying to figure out the why, right? You don't go to USA Today for that. They're not telling you the why. The Post is Washington Post and New York Times aren't telling you the why. What you do is you is you click on and see what, what Native News Online is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I find out the why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, quite frankly, I, I try to do our reporting in such a way that it's not inflammatory. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's every bit of reason why Rachel and I can be angry every single day of our lives. But you have to, as you mature, you have to be able to process it. But in, 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 in what we do at Native News Online, try to present it in such a way that people are going to listen to us. So mm-hmm. I was... I came across anti-white and hateful and all that. I'm gonna get tuned out immediately. I'm sure other people, you guys will love this. During the Trump administration, we received zero press releases from the White House, with the exception of right. one, one during COVID. They felt like we, you know, they probably had to reach out to. It. However, only one. I probably get, and I'm not exaggerating, 30 emails a day from the White House. I'm dealing with the White House right now as we're on this this show because they're going to give us an exclusive, and so uh, I have a reporter on it. But but, so that's credibility. But if you're anti-white or you know real filled with hate, you you lose your credibility uh, real quickly. And so I I try to be real. Credibility is a big word to me. in terms of, yeah. as you mentioned, with Rachel and Kevin, and so it, it, it's just we have to be credible as a news agency as well. So, right. Yeah. Well, so, well we got to wrap up. Oh, Levi, okay. Sorry, one last thing that also tells you, Levi, what that that the White House understands the importance of the community. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're keeping you in the loop, and they want to talk to you because they understand how important the Native American community is, and that's why I think Leonard has. A, a real chance and maybe the first time he's ever had a real chance at clinic. Yeah. yeah. I'll add really quick just before we wrap up, you know, with the holding of Leonard as a political prisoner and not, you know, not even just Native American, but as a human being right. and the injustices that he represents until Leonard is free, none of us are free. Until he's free, they hold a peace 
of the spirit of each and every human being that has fought for human rights. Not even native rights, just basic human rights that we all have the right to have as human beings on this earth, in this existence. Well, so, I, I hope if NBC or CNN shows up at this, you you say what you just said. That was powerful. Yeah. That was very powerful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Joe, me and you have talked about this and Jedi as well, and this is kind of like going off on a tangent, and I'm kind of nervous to open this box, but we might not have Native Americans on again, and I do want to know what they think about Columbus Day, Indigenous Day, and the baseball teams and the football teams being renamed. Well, like maybe if you guys could sum that up. <laughs> well, well, first of all, maybe we won't tell you until we get invited back. How's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. I like it. We'll never be invited back. <laughs> Columbus, could, the Columbus Indigenous Day could easily be a show. Well, yeah, right now, you, I don't know if you know this or not, Todd, but I'm a descendant of Christopher Columbus. And I'll be honest, not real thrilled with what he did. Uh, And for anybody who's read the guy's journals, I mean, if if you have any question about the way he treated the people he came across, just read his own words. He explains it, and it's awful. But here's another thing I like to tell people, again, where your American history classes failed you. Christopher Columbus was not an explorer. He didn't know where he, he, he didn't understand he had come to the wrong place. Which is why we call Native Americans Indians, because this moron thought he was in India. Okay? So he, he was... Correct. Yeah, our, our joke is, but his, his job... His uh, job our, was our joke is, up. we're glad he didn't arrive in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, his at that time... to find money and, and land and gold for the king yeah. and queen of Spain. That's what he at, was out there doing. At that time, India was actually called Hindustan. And the term Indian comes from... Um, a term that they were using in the Spanish language, and they called the original people that they were running into, those indigenous people, people of God. That comes from the term Indios. Indios so, yes. in, yeah, wow. Indian doesn't come from the term India. That's actually a really big misconception um, shared along around the world, because it wasn't even India at that time. It was Hindustan. Wow, that is... Thank you. Again, see, I'm, I'm one of those people, like Levi said, a, a credibility is important. And, you know, we talk about this on the show every week. I, I, it's important to me that when we're talking, especially to crazy people, which we do sometimes, <laughs> that the stuff that they're saying, I don't want, I mean, I run this company. I don't want to get sued for like some of the insane things that people say or think. Uh, and so, yeah. Rachel, thank you, because that's important to me that that we know that. And I will be telling everybody that that that's how uh, Indians got their names now. So thank you. Hey, Rachel's going to be invited back. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Joe, I, I do feel like as a kid, if someone said an Indian, I would think of a Native American. But I think yes. nowadays, if someone says Indian, I think of someone from India. Correct. Yeah. And the last thing, what about the baseball teams and the football teams? Do you think that's like a step in the right direction being renamed? Most definitely. Yeah, that definitely is. And maybe, you know, like you said, maybe we could have a whole other show on that. As the American Indian movement, we have several coalitions that are specifically dedicated to seeing that shift in mascots and imagery of our people within public school systems, professional sports teams, and even private companies. So um, that's something that we could talk about another yeah. time because two I minutes would love to. <laughs> real quick rachel yeah. would you agree that chief wahoo 
the former Cleveland Indians logo was about the most offensive logo any professional sports team has literally ever had. Like a uh, red-faced, drunken, clownish-looking Indian man. That yeah, was, I've, even as a kid, not even being PC, like that felt messed up to me in so many ways. Yeah, so the imagery is terrible. And then also that imagery and that frame of mind of our people incites all of this racism and degradation and cultural appropriation of our people and cultures too. And like in these public school systems where you have a quote unquote native mascot in the state of Indiana here where um, we're doing a lot of this work right now, there's 21 public schools in Indiana that have racist Native American mascots that have native children going to those schools. So how do you think those children feel? What do you think those other kids in that school are saying to those native children? You know, so the, you know, this, it's a whole other show. We don't have enough time to yeah. cover. Let me Absolutely. add one, let me add one thing. And you will, you, you will wish that I never said that, but maybe this happened <laughs> because I've been in this. It's hard to drive really anywhere in this country without being bombarded with Native American names for the streets, the cities, all of this. And it never, it never struck me um, until I got into, into the Peltier case that now I cringe every time I just go, mm, you know, pick, pick, pick one, any, uh, any state with it's, that's a Native American state or city or, or little town that I'm driving through a road. Every time I see it, I just go, oh, this is now just a reminder of what happened and why we now have a have a town that's got that name, but it has no Native Americans in it because, and I'm here in Tennessee, we we moved them out. We don't even have any tribes here. We, you know, Andrew Jackson started it. He didn't he didn't implement it, but you know there were multiple trails of tears, not just the one, and it wasn't just Cherokee, but we kept their names and got got them off their land and kept the names. Um, that they had for it. And it's just, it makes me cringe every time I, I pass one um, and reminds me of what happened in this country. Cool. Um, thanks for coming on, guys. One thing I want to touch on is one of the sad things about this that we didn't mention was Chauncey. He basically grew up without a dad. I know my life, my dad was in my life. We played baseball, we played golf. We were always together and he basically had to know his dad from behind bars. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then Kathy Paltier, who's Leonard's youngest child, the first time and the only time he ever held her was in the courtroom of his trial. Oh, so, you know, he deserves to be able to spend time with his family and his family deserves to be able to spend time with him. Right. Cool. Well, I think that was awesome. I'm definitely going to keep in touch with all you guys because I think we're definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for coming on our show, all of you guys. Yeah, well, thanks for having us on. Thanks for thanks for getting this group together. It was it's so great for, you know, I don't get to hear Rachel and Levi be able to talk at length like this, um, and it keeps me motivated. And I always learn something from them, um, and I'll steal some of what they said. <laughs> and um, Joe, when we say bye to these guys, I want to stand for about two more minutes with. Uh, Jedi, myself, and you, if we can. Sure. Um, yeah, so thanks so much, and I'll be in touch with you guys. And uh, I don't know what happened to Chauncey, but um, yeah, tell him we give him our best. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Good Bye. luck, you guys. All right. See you Bye. later.
So that was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. Dude, that was um, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Again, I kind of went into this. I needed to hear from them. Yeah. Uh, because everything that I'm still reading, it's like, all right, I, I get a lot of the evidence says it wasn't him, but then who, who did it? Because again, from what I read, it seemed like he had admitted it to some people in his inner circle. And again, that's hearsay and certainly right. wouldn't, wouldn't stand up in court. But again, somebody, somebody execution style took out those two cops after the shootout. They were both pretty incapacitated and somebody. Um, yeah. And the way, I mean, there was so much to learn here. So the way I kind of talked to Jedi, I said, I, I think the best thing to do, instead of us learning everything and trying, no one wants to hear from us. Let them kind of tell the story and we'd Oh, and they were all great. Questions. Oh, they, they were, were all awesome. really great. I really enjoyed that. I'm so glad that we we talked to all yeah. these fine folks because, boy, learned a lot, learned a lot. And it, and it did. It filled in a lot for me about the stuff I didn't know. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really good topic about the sports teams and stuff. Because you know where we live, Joe. If you say, like, oh, they're renaming the Redskins, everyone immediately just is like, oh, that's stupid. Give me a break without knowing anything. So I in, I live in Connecticut, which yeah. is uh, very much taken from Native Americans. Uh, I live in Wethersfield. We used to be the Warriors. They recently changed it. There's mm -hmm. another town, a few towns over from here, that also made the change. And now there's a contingency of angry white people who want to go back to the name. They're pissed at why, <laughs> why can't we still be the Tomahawks? And it's like, you get over yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. people that are like, how is that offensive? It's like, if I drew a picture of your mom, like a big mm. giant whore, and I was like, hey, our new team is the whores, and it's a picture yeah. of your mom, Todd, you wouldn't like right. that. You'd be right, like, right, oh, right. could you pick anything but that? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and again, or, or my favorite is, I know a couple of Indians who love that Redskins logo. Oh, you do? You know one or two? What about all the other ones? Like, that's the, the anecdotal evidence is not evidence, you know? Yeah, it's right, an opinion right. from somebody that says something that you want to hear. It's like Fox News has, like, three black people that, that go on and commentate on it because it's the only three black people they could find that would say the shit that they want them to say on Fox. Same right, three guys. So the last, yeah. Yeah, right. So the last thing I want to touch on, like we said earlier, Jedi, if anyone has any suggestions, um, send it into us because we'll probably do a show. Now, I did send Derek a prize pack, sent him a few things from Foxwoods. I didn't take his advice, though, to say he said $200 max you should bring there. I should have listened to him. <laughs> I sent him some some conspiracy, uh, crimes, conspiracies beyond swag. And I sent him a couple things from the Northeast, Joe, and I want to see if Jedi can tell us what these are. Joe's going to bring up a picture, Jedi. Ready, Jedi? Yeah. <laughs> so, Jedi, do you know what that thing on the left is? I mean, I know you can read it, but do you know what that is? No. How would you that eat is... that? Any idea? With a spoon? No, you don't want to eat that with a spoon. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I was amazed to find out, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. This is a Northeast thing, marshmallow fluff. Yeah. So you can have peanut butter and fluff sandwiches. It's how would you how would you describe fluff another? Gosh, it's uh it's hard to explain. It's like super soft cream cheese. No, no, like, no. It would just be like marshmallows, kind of. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. But again, the idea, it's like a spread. It's meant to be spread yeah. on, on a piece. So it's it's basically a marshmallow 
It's a marshmallow spread, Jedi, is what it is. It goes great with peanut butter. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> peanut butter and fluff. And the other one, I'm guessing they don't have those there. Boston baked beans. Do you have those, Joe? Actually, yes. they had those in Hawaii. Oh, when really? I was little. Yeah. Jedi is, is, I mean, Joe, is Jedi like at a photo shoot or something? Do you see like her hair blowing around and stuff? Yes. Stand in front of you? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, what's going on fan? over there, Jedi? I'm sweating like a pig. I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> if it was any hard, um, you'd have an apple in your mouth. Yeah. So um, that was great. I definitely want to have them on again. Joe, thanks for taking time on. I know you're on vacation in the cave. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Wouldn't miss it. All right. So I think that just about does it. Okay, that's it, Marks. The end is here. Again, just don't take our word for it. There is a lot of information on the Leonard Pertil case. Uh, look into it. Uh, it's the evidence, the lack of evidence is obvious that he's been in prison unjustly. Um, thank you to our, our guests again, once again, and check us out on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, Twitter, and Clovercrest Media. Aloha. Thank you.